0: Hello and thank you for joining us on Desert Isolation Discs. I'm Alex Lawson and your company is very much appreciated. I really hope you enjoy today's guest as he's a bit of a legend, he's got a killer taste in music and a cracking chuckle. Gordon Mack is a soul man. The radio impresario has been DJing since the age of 12 and has music running through his veins. A fixture on the South London club scene, he took a knockback from the radio station JFM as an incentive to set up his own pirate station KISS. Along with the likes of Norman Jay and Giles Peterson, Gordon has helped champion the music others refused to play. He took the station onto FM and into a huge brand, eventually selling to media conglomerate EMAP. Now he's back running digital station My Soul and home to capture the dancing shoes and minds with new music and classics. We meet up to discuss a few of them in a West London cafe. Uh, Gordon, I'm fascinated to hear what music you've got for us today. Tell us how a man like you approaches picking your favourite discs.
1: My goodness, it's the hardest thing in the world. I I suppose really what I've done is I've gone through today and at different points in my life there's been certain records that have just stood out and they're just records that I can still play today and not feel tired of and every one of those records i can i can still play today and i don't feel tired of them at all now i have thousands of these records <laughs> so um to pick just um seven eight of them or whatever is very very difficult but i'm going to give it a go i'm going to give it a go give us a picture of your record collection. do you have some
0: huge attic at home or what uh, do you keep more
1: well I have uh, I have a lockup which is full of them. <laughs> They've got about um, 800 boxes of records in a lockup, um, and then I have a uh, our dining room is one wall of it is all vinyl, mm. and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go through the all the boxes are in. Uh, in uh, lock Up and go through and just pick the ones that I really like. Yeah. So I'm 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 constantly going through records at the moment and just going right. I like that record. It's not just there for the collection. It's not just there because I've got all the other albums, you know. Because yeah. uh, I kind of uh, I got to the point where you can't house them all in your home. It gets messy. <laughs> so you you've just got to go. This is the wall of the best records that I love. Not so much my work records, because everything now seems to be on MP3 or, you know, uh, CD or Mm -hmm. um, disc or whatever. But it's the the records that I actually like and can be bothered to put on and then take off the record deck and put another one on.
0: (laughs) 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 So let's put on your first one. What
1: is it? Okay, my first one is 007, it's an old reggae track I, I, I grew up loving reggae because of my uh, a cousin of mine that took me to Chelsea back in 1969 when I was about 9 years old and she used to go out with one a skinhead there and this is when skinheads liked reggae music and it, it, there was no um, racial connotations or anything like that they, they like ska, blue beat, reggae, soul, Motown, Stax, Atlantic. And so her influence is, because she's about five years older than me, and she took me to my first ever disco when I was about eight, and sort of me, and then she kind of introduced me to this reggae music, which from that time on, I just, uh, I, it's always played a baby big part in my heart.
0: have been dancing there um, so you mentioned uh, um, come on to Kiss and My Soul and your uh, incredible impact on soulful radio but uh, just to take it back you mentioned the disco that you went to there yes. when I had the pleasure of interviewing you for The Standard we were chatting about your first DJ set age 12 yes. can you treat the listeners to your anecdote about, about that
1: about Well, experience? I, sp- I suppose really I got into um, I got into being a disc jockey when I was very early, I used to do a Sass Day job in a in a, um, in a, um, uh, it was a toy shop down the Woolworth Road. Uh-huh. And I used to earn my money there, and then I used to go up to A1 stores, which was the record shop in the Woolworth Road. And buy my seven inches and stuff like that and um i used to listen to um emperor roscoe kenny everett and all that stuff so i always loved i grew up in a house and my next track kind of is a a track that i grew up with which came via the influences of my mother and the family and um so i i grew up in a, a house of music and um then when i was about eight I think it was I'm not quite sure seven, eight, nine I have been about seven or eight I went to Butlin's in Bognor Regis and my cousin same cousin that got me into the reggae she sneaked me out I was there with my nan and my aunt she sneaked me out through the window and we went she took me to the disco and it was the first ever disco that I'd ever been to. And it was very basic, I think. All I can remember was it was dark, there was loads of loud noise and music, people dancing and going crazy, and there was lights flashing. And then it's dark and then it's flashing. And I was like, oh, my God, I just loved it. And so I, I kind of, I just wanted to be a DJ. <laughs> and so I kind of, I... I the local church. Um, one day, I, I got my opportunity in 1972 in Halloween, and um, the DJ never turned up for a, a church benefit, and so I said, oh, "I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I've got records. I'm only 12 years old at this point." I said, "I'll do it. I'll do it." And so, cocky, yeah, I was, I was pushy, <laughs> and I was on blue pizza. I was one of those. I was one of those kids. <laughs> i got a badge, I a on one, and a pin on one. Um, And heard Valerie Singleton swear. Oh, my God, that was a shocking thing in my life. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, she said the F word. I was like, oh, no, surely not. Um, And um, so this, um, this fundraiser at the church, the DJ never turned up, so they got together these two old record decks and put it through the Tannoy system, and I went home and got my records. And I actually got to do my first ever DJing gig, which... I, I can always remember. I'd play a record, and I think, right, DJs are supposed to talk in between each track, so I'm going to talk after the next track. And the next track would finish, and I'd just play another one. I think, well, I will talk after the next one. And it went on and on and on. And you know, it was, it was a it was an elderly ladies there and everything else. And um, the, the the first time I did talk, I think I introduced the wrong track. And it was it. It was just one of those things, but I, I went home from there and I loved it. I absolutely, that was, that's what I wanted to do. That was, that was it. And uh, I'd done a deal with the, um, the, the uh, vicar um, and said to him, let me do all, your, all, all of your fundraisers, all of your... And so I'd done a deal and so I got £2 per gig for the rest of the year. He gave me a contract to do all of them. And on the strength of that, I went and bought, say, um, my father, uh, my dad, Good old Cormac. He 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 stood guarantor for a two hundred pound mobile disco unit, and I actually um, I paid it back over three years, and I said, "That's how I got started." <laughs> <laughs> it's <just> like anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what is your
0: next song? Okay, in my,
1: my my next my next song is one that is really dear to my heart, um, and it's by an artist which kind of I kind of grew up on. My mum played um, Dionne Warwick in the house I knew every word to every single Dionne Warwick song um, and What the World Needs Love is one of my favourites but the one I've chosen today is one that I still listen to now and it still makes me smile um, Do You Know the Ways of San Jose just, I love this track so much
0: Stone Cold Classic Inimitable Dion Warwick. So, Gordon, tell me, you set up a pirate radio station yes. in the form of KISS. I mean, to many
2: people,
1: that's almost inconceivable now. How do you <laughs> go about it? Uh, I went about. Well, the reason I'd done it was because I knew I'd never get on legal radio. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you were... You were <laughs> I, d- I, d- I, I DJ'd on <laughs> JFM, yeah, and that, they didn't... They, they went for a, a community licence... Um, the guy that ran that, he said, Gordon, he said, I know you've done drive time for us for the last couple of years, but if you get another chance of going to another radio station, then take it, because your speech, you know, you'd have to go to the speech therapy to get on a legal radio station. Yeah. So, you know, kind of thanks and goodbye. And I was, I was, I was mortified. I was like, I mean, I understood, yeah, I was not the greatest speaker in the world. i <laughs> still not. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I was mortified. So I thought, right, okay, if you don't want me, I'll go and set my own one up. Mm -hmm. And um, myself and um, three friends, uh, George Power and Tosca and an engineer, we set up this pirate station because loads of them had gone off at this point. Um, Solar, Horizon, JFM, LWR, they all went off to try and get one of these community licenses, which never, ever happened back in 83. And so that's when I set up KISS. And
0: okay. what kind of access did people actually have to soul music at that time? I mean, how, how important was pirate radio?
1: The landscape um, back then was so different to today. I mean, that you only had um, radio. Um, uh, radio London that had a show, which was the one of the shows, which was Robbie Vincent, who was kind of... It was Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, Greg Edwards, who's now on My Soul, but Greg Edwards used to do Capsule Radio on a Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. And then there was David Rodigan, who done the reggae show yeah. on Saturday evening. And that was... Um, it was one of two other little shows, but that was the... Main fulfilment that you got from radio of real soul music, and yeah. and so you, you kind of you the only other place you heard it was in the record shop, or if you could find a club or a bar or somewhere that actually played the music, and that was very few and far between. Yes. I mean, you know, going back to the early eighties, it wasn't like it is today where it's mainstream. It's kind of it was very very we was fighting to let everybody hear about our music, you know. Our, I wanted everyone to hear my latest Fatback band or my latest yeah. um, James Brown track or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of Travaris and all these... But I just wanted everyone to hear about them and you just didn't get it on normal radio. So the next
0: song you've got for us... Uh...
1: Uh, the, next, the next song that I've got for you, I, I, the one that I've actually got queued up here, isn't from back then. It's, um, it's kind of... It's more now, really, because I thought I'd shuffle sure. it around a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely.
0: Um... You are a DJ.
1: Absolutely, you, you know how to create an eclectic mix. Well, this is an eclectic mix. Um, there's there's a um, there's a wonderful jazz singer called Gregory Paulser, which I know you know, um, and he recorded a track called 1960 Watts, which is just wonderful in its true form. But then there's a house um, remixer called the Opalopo. Op- and I have to try and get that right. And he's done a mix of it, which has put a kind of a really lovely, soulful, but a warm, housey beat underneath it. Mm. And, ah, it just... Gregory Paulster's vocals, which is just amazing. And this is a real kind of my soul song, and it kind of... It's just... Yeah. And it also comes from my soul. This just sums up wonderful music to me.
2: 1960. <laughs> <laughs> Standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel Shots rang out Yes, it was a gun He was the only one to fall down y'all
0: back with uh, Gordon Matt we've been uh, dancing in the window of uh, West London. feel uh, quite
1: excited uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I feel like I should be in Amsterdam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so go on, tell me uh, you know in the early days of KISS uh, and even yeah. later on you uh, you worked with the likes of Norman Jay and Tim Westwood and, all, and so yeah. many others who also as well as yourself went on to become big names. Um, Can you tell me
1: about the atmosphere and what you guys used to get up to? um, uh, I don't know if I can tell you what we got up to, but it was fun. (laughs) Um, We we used to, I mean, to to put it into perspective, when when Kiss was a pirate, um, and there was people like um, Norman Jay and Trevor Nelson and... um, Tim Westwood and I mean just all these different so many different great mm. names um, Jonathan Moore Matt Black who became Cold Cut and yes. you know there, there was, there was a, it was a hub of real talent Jazzy B was part of it all and, we, and I don't really think that we realised when we look back now we go wow but at the time it was kind of we didn't really recognise it. It was kind of we were all doing our thing. We were all striving to push our kind of our arts and our kind of to do as many clubs and do you know. And I don't think really we kind of we recognised what we was doing really at the time. You know that how important and and also it was the time around that because. Um, Kiss was a pirate from um, 85 to uh, for three and a half years. That's all it was as a pirate was three and a half years. And then we had a a year and a half, a year when we came off air. So we had to be off air for a year to go for the license. And then we got the license in 1989 at the end of it, December. And then we had to go until uh, nine months into September, into 1990, mm. to actually then we came on as a legal station. So it was about five years, five and a half years, sort of that we, from inception of starting it all up, and when I founded it, till it be coming on legal. And in that time, um, it wasn't just the... Um, it wasn't just us all doing that. There was, there'd been a history of Pirate, but there'd also been um, a change in the music because house music came along. Yeah. Um, and in the short time that we was on here, when Norman Jay had done the original Rare Grooves show, which was this brand-new style of music which kind of came out... Um, I say brand-new music, it was all old music that were Rare Grooves. <laughs> they are all old, but it was a new style and a new kind of format... Um, and so you, you kind of... You had that. And then within a year or so, a year and a half, two years, you had house music come along. Mm. And started off with soulful beats like Ten City and stuff like that. And then yeah. it got into mad rave music and it kind of... And that just took the nation by storm. Um, and it, it wasn't just an underground thing. And what it done was it catapulted all the musics that surrounded it as well yeah. into the spotlight. And then you had big raves. And then you had the, the Freedom for, to Party uh, movement. Yes. And we kind of we, we surfed along the surf, you know, the, the wave of this, because yeah. we were just there. We'd been there, so it was established as a pirate and when all this happened we you know norm uh, for instance danny ramplin who was one of our djs mm. started off on kiss playing independent soul um american soul seven inches mm. and ended up being the biggest you know the shum and the biggest happy happy house dj that there was and one of the biggest brands in the whole house scene with the shum brand and it was just a time of change and. Some people, some of the DJs, just didn't embrace it and fell by the wayside, and some just took it and went and (laughs) and just never looked back. And so, you know, you know, Judge Jules. I mean, these were all DJs that were all part of us. Um, And you know, Judge Jules was doing um, rare groove and you know, Shaken finger pop and doing stuff with Norman Jay, who the good times were. And within a couple of years he was doing house music and kind of he became later when BBC started about five years down the line later, he was massive, he was this big house DJ, you know, I mean and an international DJ and they all became international, and so it was a it's a totally different thing. I mean, you know, also, E came along, which changed the perceptions yeah. of all the people that were dancing because they'd all dancing, they'd all dancing aircraft hangars, and yeah. So it was a it was a whole time of change, and we just was there as a kind of a of the vocal point of part a lot of this. What
0: did, um, when people talk about rave culture, they do talk about air aircraft yeah. hangers and the top yeah. fields and the hacienda what was it like in London at that time and what, you know a typical night view are you, are you in some well what, we, warehouse somewhere well, what, what used
1: to happen was we used to every saturday night we used to run uh, i think it's called third base which was second base which was in camden <laughs> so everyone used to go to second base which finished at two o'clock three o'clock and then everybody would know somebody to phone to... And there would be just cars all going off to a phone box or a um, motorway station to get instructions on where to go for the ride. And it was just mad. You know, and it was just... It was unbelievable, yeah. And, you know, we we got involved with some of the raves and stuff like that. But overall, it was... We, we we kind of we kept ourselves as a radio station and just sort of because we still had shows that we've gone all just rave or what house or whatever we still had soul shows reggae shows and you know all these other kind of shows yeah but it was a it was a total turnaround mm. and um, I mean Norman Jay started off doing rare groove and he he started a club called High on Hope which was down Dingles every Thursday playing soulful house music and, that. and it, Total change around. It it was I I looked at one of my diaries the other day, and it seemed that every single week there was something new happening. It was just—it was quite a crazy song. So tell
0: us about your next song.
1: Okay, my next song. um, This is this is where I kind of um, this is—it's called Flower Duet, and it's a bit of classical music and I, th- I think, I think uh, the British Airways went and spoils it by using it in an advert uh-huh. but I, I, I have a very Catholic taste when it comes to music, I kind of, I, I like all kinds and this is just a piece of music and a, a, a bit of opera that is just, I think it's just beautiful and I can listen to it from start to end and then I can replay it again and start and listen to it from start to end because it is just so beautiful
0: talking before about uh, how kind of uh, being uh, a white guy playing black music in quite an unusual uh, situation you know you're in London which has changed so much yeah. uh, uh, over the time that you've been involved in music and um, deregulation of radio and uh, uh, in the latter days of Thatcher has obviously uh, had a, a big effect on your life and people around you. How do you think that Britain has evolved? Uh, you know, the last 30, 40 years, well, with music being obviously at the, at the heart of how it's defined as a culture.
1: I, I think that, I think one of the things that I pull out of all of this is that, um, in the last thirty-five years, um, we've seen a music which was predominantly underground and sort of was a, uh, a niche style of music, has. Um, it's kind of it's, it's, it's become mainstream um, and uh, there's I mean if you look at kind of where we were when um, we, I was out first off disc jockeying and sort of trying to spread the word about um, Fatback Band and James Brown and everything else and you just sort of plot James Brown's career throughout all of this yeah. and through the music that has been um uh, the music that's been kind of the, uh, come around, whether it's hip hop, which used James Brown, or the rare groove scene came back, or now you can just play a James Brown track, yeah. and it doesn't have to be Sex Machine for people to go, "Wow, love that," and want to dance to it. Yeah. Um, it's it's become. And I think a bit like London itself, you know, there's so many cultures, there's so, you know, it's such a melting pot of people and and musics and everything else. That it, it's now part of the mainstream, you know, you can play, you can go to um, a wedding and you don't have to just play Hi Ho Silver Lining and, uh, you know, <laughs> the latest Slate song or whatever. You you can actually play music and people do like it. And, you know, people have much more Catholic taste and and, you know, what we were fighting for, you know, with black music, is accepted now. You know, and kind of, if anything, it's kind of it's become it's become too accepted in well, some so, ways. Yeah, tell
0: me about you, you, your feeling about that because you know you were talking
1: before about. How I, I think you've that, that you've lost it, well, I think I think that we were naive when 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 all of us DJs first was. Promoting this music and going, you've got to listen to this uh, this Bobby Bird track, or you've got to listen to this Travaris track, or whoever. And um, we wanted the world to know about all this music. And then we kind of we got to a point where when kiss became legalised and music, kind of uh, the the dance music and soul and r and and rap and hip hop and house and all these things. Um, was doing about seventy odd percent of the charts, it was kind of, Wow, we've done it. But we didn't own it and it kind of it didn't feel right. We didn't feel like we'd win won. Because I think that what happened was we we never we were naive when we was trying to promote this music because um, we never realised that anything that gets big gets taken over by the cor- corporations and it gets kind of diluted and all of a sudden Usher's doing a remix with David Guetta, and it kind of it's, it takes away all of that. Yeah, it's a massive hit or whatever, and it's kind of ah, it's not what we set out to do. But we, we, I think that's us being naive, really. Yeah. Um, so that, that with. With regards to all that, it kind of feels as if we won, but we didn't really enjoy the winning. <laughs> no, I,
0: see. I see. So your next track has gone
1: presumably not Usher. Uh, no, definitely not Usher. Um, this, is, this is a track which I think the words to this, um, and I, I'm going to say that I met my wife 14 years ago and we got married after about 10 years, and um, when we heard this track, it kind of summed up... Um, a lot of the feelings that we had for each other and just such a well-written song and there's two versions of it there's Taurus Riley done a reggae version of it and Robin Thicke who done, as I understand, the original version of it and it's called Superman and it is just, it goes out for my wife Deborah.
2: I'ma be there to take care of you i am be there when you cry. Be there when you need someone to tell you that you're beautiful, baby. Oh i will be there when you need someone to run with. I'll be there when you need someone to dance with. I'm your lover when the skies turn gray every day. Tell us beautiful, baby. Oh, tell us beautiful, tell it's beautiful, baby, tell us beautiful. So, Gordon,
0: uh, we were talking about uh, how you built up KISS, Uh, you eventually sold it to EMAP. Tell me about how that progressed, because obviously taking a radio station to then be commercial, and the kind of natural frictions that appear to making money and playing all the music you love, obviously it's quite difficult, and how do you sort of stay professional whilst hanging on to the music, I, I,
1: it's tricky, it must have been tricky I think um, a couple of things really, I, I think the EMAP were good in a way because they, initially they let me have my, I was doing something good we had, we was earning loads of money, we had loads of audience and so it's kind of difficult to <laughs> tell somebody to do it differently if, yeah, and so we, we kind of had that um, and so we, I, I was there, I was this MD of Kiss for uh, seven years from 1990 when we went on air till 97, December 97 is when I left and I finished my show in um, April of uh, 98. Um, and I was a bit like a bow really because there was the board above me which yeah. were kind of saying we've got to do better, we've got to do better, and it's got to be more obsessive and it's got to be more this and it's got to be what." Right. and then I had all the staff below me going so they were giving me shit which I yeah. said then and I had all the staff below me going what's the matter with them can't they see we're successful can't they see what we're doing is good can't they see we're turning over millions of pounds and they're actually kind of real successful yeah. and they were giving me shit <laughs> <laughs> and I was like this bowel in the middle which had to Cleanse everything that went through from the board to the staff from the staff to the board. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I saw my job for You've got quite a, half, a while.
0: Because
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> everybody at work there seems to love music. Yeah. And I'd walk into the accounts department and find the head of accounts having a big row with one of the DJs about the best house record that's out at the moment and stuff like that. <laughs> I'd be like, for God's sake, can you just get on with accounts and can you get back down to programming? And <laughs> because everybody in the building loved the music and mm. which was wonderful but it was just, un- <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you, some of the stories that went on, I came in one day and found Steve Jackson tied to a chair in the sales department because they disagreed with his, uh, his, his choice of house record on the show that day. And- <laughs> I can't talk to no, about name, because no, no. <laughs> I because mean, we found naked women in the studio, we've found um, DJs absolutely off their trolley in the studios that we've had yeah. to take them out. We, um, we, we had a, a Christmas party one year uh, um, in, um, in Camden Lock yeah. and one of the sales people thought it was being funny to pick on one of the DJs that everybody else picks on. And because it was one of the suits that picks on one of the DJs, the DJs just pick this salesperson up and chucks him in the lock. God. And I'm, I'm paying for, for lungs to be pumped out and everything, because Camden Lock's not the prettiest of locks no. in the world. And it, <laughs> just merging all these people together, there is there's a very, very funny book, and one that I could probably get sued quite a lot for. I'm <laughs> um,
2: very
0: excited Very you. So what's next on your playlist?
1: Um... The next one on my playlist kind of um, bridges a gap because uh, it's, it's an old reggae record, because I love reggae, as you, as you know, um, but it also was taken by one of the massive rave outfits um, back in the day, and it kind of it, it, it puts the two together, and it's, it's Max um, Romeo called Chase the Devil, and I'll let you work out what song it was taken with the rave thing, you've just got to play it.
2: shirt. Sure.
0: Because
1: you have to mix in the prodigy um, out of space into that to so actually kind of then it goes mad.
0: Nice <laughs> enough to see you do that live, with, uh, yeah. uh, as a lucky person. So, go ahead and tell me about My Then it's your online station. You've yeah. taken it onto digital radio. Uh, it's about three years old yep. what was your original concept why like? get back into
1: the radio game um, I came out the radio game after I finished at Kiss um, and came out and sort like, of done loads of other things that I wanted to do and went around the world and uh, so had I've, fun didn't you that's did. <laughs> it
2: <laughs>
1: yeah I, mean, I went and had fun <laughs> that's the polite way of saying it yeah um, and then I, I had a bar and restaurant and nightclub and Caribbean restaurant and done all these different things. And um, after that type of, in 2007, I came out of all that and got that out of my system. And the recession came, and I got asked. I, I, I sat there, myself and my wife, who sat there, and we said, "Okay, what do we want to do now? Do we want to stay running clubs and doing things at night, or do we want to get a daytime job and sort of, you know, get our social life back?" Yeah. And um, also, at the same time, I was, I was so disenfranchised from any radio, really. And kind of radio, I've always loved radio. And there was this new thing called internet radio, which kind of I was starting to get into and I found kind of appealing. And it's kind of, you know, because um, it's why the youth today aren't championing any real music because they can get whatever they want, whenever they want, mm. on their devices because, you know, the youth listen to everything and they, they, don't, they don't seem to go to the theatre because they watch everything on their phone or on their laptop or on their um, pad. And but
0: one of the things I think is great about you is that you're not backwards looking, you know, you're, no. you're excited by these developments. Oh,
1: goodness, I think that, yeah, music. definitely. And so with all of this, it, it kind of really... Made me look at kind of okay the radio market and I believe on you know kind of I got asked to go and do some um some consultancy work on a couple of stations which I'd done and looks at the marketplace and looks at kind of what the offering was that was actually out there and I believe that the future is via the internet that is the future three five seven years time and so I, I thought that there needs to be a kind of a station which is for the post-KISS generation, it's kind of for as it were, KISS adults (laughs) and um, for all those people that used to listen to KISS and Choice and those stations, between the year um, 1990 and 2005 which now have grown up and they're kind of out of the age range because these stations are kind of um, 12 to 24 year old stations and once you get to type of 30, 35, then you become you know you want a little bit that's a little bit easier and also there's not a station out there that covers off the music that we all used to play by all the DJs and all those DJs and I've got 70 DJs now on um, on my soul um, ranging from Greg Edwards to um, Ronnie Harrell who used to be on One Extra for 10 years to um, Jazzy B to I mean the, the the um, I don't know George um, George Kay who does the breakfast show. I mean, but there's so many great radio DJs out there that have done radio in the past, but haven't got gigs on them now because their audience are all over thirty. Yeah, and so I thought there's a real there's a real hole in the market for this so we tested it, doing it for three years on internet Yeah. and we've just taken the plunge to go on to DAB the big problem with internet radio is you don't wake up with your computer going on, yeah. it kind of you, you you know, you wake up with a DAB radio and, and more people in the latest radio, more people listen to in, um, digital radio mm. than they do to FM in London yeah. so we felt that now is the time to actually go on and sort of just make our mark and actually fulfil a gap that's not being catered for out there. Uh, so what's your final
0: choice? Then?
1: My final choice is um, a record which just, oh goodness me, it, I've got so many records that I could finish on, there really is. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to do a, a My Soul record, I'm going to do a, a, a play a, a record which just to me is probably one of the most perfect records ever. Which for me to say that is kind of pretty, pretty kind of, that's a big statement for me. But I really do believe that it is a, a, a pretty perfect record. It's Etta James and a, At Last. I just love this.
2: It's beautiful. over.
0: Could talk to you all day, this has been fantastic. Um, so obviously, we've catapulted you into the desert, yes. and how do you think you'd cope?
1: I, I... <laughs> terribly. <laughs> Although I'd rather be in the desert than um, in the snow, so I uh, prefer <laughs> the sun.
2: Right.
1: Yeah.
0: We're very generous here on Desert Isolation Disc. We give you the complete Red Dwarf box set and the Tiger that came to tea. Uh, we'll give you another luxury item. <laughs> Anything that you couldn't be
1: without? Um, it would probably uh, a computer. <laughs> um, that's probably my yeah. first choice, but. <laughs> Probably a, a cappuccino maker, but I'd have, to have, I'd have to have a sugar grove near me so I could put uh, some sugar in my coffee. <laughs> I
0: like it, a very stylish approach. Uh, go on, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your Desert Desolation this. Uh, thanks for joining
1: us. Thank you very much. Great being here.